kids can be dismissed to uh, Children's Church. You can go, Sarah, if you'd like to. And uh, this morning, uh, for a few minutes, I want to address a question. I think the Lord asked himself this question a lot. And I think he still asks himself this question a lot. Why don't they get it? <laughs> what on earth? You know, how, how clear can it be? How, you know... Uh, you know, I know they say hindsight's twenty twenty. We can look back as believers in the New Testament and we see all the times, you know, in the Old Testament where it talked about the Messiah coming. It talked about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. He named the city uh, where Jesus, the Messiah would be born. It talked about how his, you know, he would just be a common person. He wouldn't be from royalty. He wouldn't live uh, wealthy. He would be a common person, and yet, uh, and then Isaiah talks about how uh, the Messiah, uh, we talked about this morning from chapter 50, about how uh, his beard would be plucked out, and how he would be whipped, and how um, he'd be mocked, and that's exactly what happened. When Jesus came, he fulfilled all these prophecies that the Messiah, and yet they couldn't believe that this Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, was the one that God had promised. And yet he checked every box, and they just wouldn't believe. And there are many today, even in 2021, that do not believe despite all those that have come before them and gave testimony of how God has worked in their life and that God is not dead, but God is very real and very active in our world today. And God desires to know everyone. The gift has been paid for and presented, and yet people don't receive it. And I think that makes Jesus say, why don't they get it? And then I think sometimes Jesus looks at us. Those that are saved, the church. And he sees us fussing and fighting and he sees us worrying about trivial things and going through motions and, and kind of absently singing, oh, how I love Jesus and yet not really loving Jesus. And Jesus, I think, shakes his head and wonders, why don't they get it? And so let's take a look at the story again. We just read the verses, but uh, we're going to read them again. So you can follow up. Verse 17 says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said to them, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, Teacher says, my time is at hand and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? 
And he answered, Who who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. A story that if you've grown up in church or you've been around in church for very long, you've heard that story from either Matthew or from one of the other Gospels on numerous occasions. Lots of things that we could pick apart in the story. But I think what Jesus wants us to know and understand are two important truths. And when we grasp these two important truths, it helps us to get it. Because without these two truths, we can't get it. But it is possible with these true truths that we get it. And the first is this. That Jesus knows. My goodness, at the beginning of the story, the disciples say, hey, it's Passover time. Where should we prepare the Passover? Jesus tells him, as he's coming to town, go to the certain man. And one of the other Gospels tell us that Jesus gives him a little bit more information. He says, go to this man that has a donkey in a certain way, and Say to him, the master has need of your house. Well, this man probably was not one of those that followed Jesus around in heaven, and yet Jesus knew that man. And he knew that man had a horse. He knew that man had a house that had an upper room. And so he says to his disciples, I want you to go to this man, tell him that I have need of his upper room. I'm going to come and have the Passover with my disciples. And guess what? Oftentimes we we rush over this. They did. Now, I don't know about you. You all know me. There are probably very few of you, and you you might even say yes, but you wouldn't be very happy about it. I can't even say, listen, I'm bringing 12 guys, and we're going to have a feast at your house. The day the feast was happening. So that wouldn't be very comfortable. But you you might, or you may not. You may say, no way, preacher, you're crazy. But this man, that we don't know his name, we don't know anything about him, other than when he knew that Jesus had this need, he allowed Jesus and his disciples to go into his upper room to observe the Passover. Now, yes, Jews were particularly hospitable. 
during the time of the Passover. It, it was a time when they would regularly you know, have company come. It was a time when the house would certainly have been clean and in order, and yet probably not prepared for 13 extra guests. Or it could be, and I think definitely part of the reason why this man allowed Jesus and the disciples to use the upper room was he was in the synagogue. He knew God. And maybe he loosely knew of Jesus. Jesus had been to the synagogue lots and lots of times. And so Jesus knows a lot. And when I suggest to you, Jesus knows our worship. He knows. He, he knew that this man was already going to have his house ready for the Passover, so you know, there was going to be table, uh, going to be room for them. He, he knew that the disciples regularly observed the Passover. The Passover is very important. It still is to uh, Jewish people today. Remember what the Passover was? Well, if you don't know, let me tell you. In the Bible, uh, God's people were, taken, were in Egypt, and they had gone voluntarily, but they were kept there as slaves under force. And the Pharaoh did not make working conditions great for them. And God had raised up a man called Moses, who was actually an adopted son in the palace. And God came to Moses and said, I want you to deliver my people. I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses makes all kinds of excuses. But eventually he relents and says, okay. And he goes to Pharaoh and says, God has told me that you're supposed to let the Hebrew people go back home. Pharaoh said, hey, I've got this good labor and it's free and they ain't going anywhere. And so Moses tells Pharaoh, say, listen, God said if you don't let my people go, there's going to be plagues. And there were ten plagues. And the, wor- the last one, the tenth one, the most severe one, was the death of the firstborn. And God had told Moses to instruct all the Hebrew people to go and to take the blood from that Passover lamb that they were going to prepare this feast for and put the blood on the doorpost of their house. And when the death angel came that night, when he saw the blood on the door, he would pass over that house. Hence the name Passover. And that's exactly what happened when any home that didn't have that blood on the door, the firstborn in that house died. Firstborn livestock died. And so finally Pharaoh relented. And God said to the people that you were to keep that Passover as a memorial, as a reminder. Just like Jesus said that we are to take this what we call the Lord's Supper or communion, and do it what? In remembrance of Him. So it matters how we worship. Jesus also knows our heart. 
He knew the heart of this man, that he would let him use the opportunity. He was a hospitable person. And God can work things out. He's God after all. And I do think he did some of that here in this instance with this fellow. He knew the hearts of the disciples. He especially knew the heart of Judas. Judas was one of those twelve. In fact, he was a leader among the twelve. had a very important position. He was the treasurer of the disciples. And Jesus knew and understood that Judas' heart was more on money than it was on him. And Judas portrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. By the way, the Old Testament even says that, that the Messiah would be betrayed for money. And sure enough, that came to pass. God knew, and just as God knew the homeowner's heart, and he knew Judas's heart, he knows your heart. He knows whether your heart is sincerely desiring to follow after him or whether you're just going through the motions. You see, it's not that that God wants you to come to church just to go to church. and It's not that he wants you to read the Bible just so you can read the Bible or pray just so that you pray. Those things are not checkboxes that you just do out of habit. All of them are opportunities where you can gather and commune with the Most High. You see, your prayer time and your Bible reading at home is just as much worship and reveals your heart just as much as what happens on Sunday morning. And the truth is, if your heart is not warmed by Jesus Monday through Friday, it ain't going to be warmed on Sunday either. Jesus knows our worship, he knows our heart, and Jesus knows our need. Jesus knew what the disciples needed. They needed a place for the Passover, and he had a place lined up. Jesus also knew that the greatest need that any person has, regardless of whether they'll admit it or not, is forgiveness and salvation. That our greatest need is new life. It's not a better car. It's not more money. It's not a better job. It's not a better spouse. It's new life. And that new life comes only from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he knew and he said, listen, I'm, here's this cup. It's the cup of the new covenant. And they said, you know what, I'm not going to drink this cup again. I'm not going to celebrate this Passover. I'm not going to take of this remembrance of you again until I drink it with you in the Father's kingdom. Jesus knew our greatest need was not an upper room. It was not a comfortable worship place. Our greatest need was him. And I tell you that that's always true in your life. Whether you realize it or not, your greatest need is God. 
You may think it's all kinds of other things. But your greatest need is God. And without Him, none of those other needs are going to be met. And you're never going to find fulfillment and peace. And so that reminds us, secondly, not only does Jesus know, but the other thing that we need to know that helps us get it, when we understand that Jesus knows all about us, He knows our worship, He knows our heart, He knows our need, when we understand that, then we begin to get it. We begin to get who Jesus is and who He's supposed to be in our life. But the second thing, that helps us get it, is understanding that Jesus gives. You know, human beings, what comes natural to us is taking. Giving, most of the time, for most of us, does not come naturally. But for God, it did. You remember a couple weeks ago, I asked you to memorize John 3.16. Last week, we quoted it together. The words were up there. The words aren't up there today. Let's see if you still know it. Okay, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that wonderful? And that is the good news. And it is possible that we can have life and that we can have newness, that we can have meaning, that we can have fellowship with God Because Jesus gave himself. He said when he took that bread and he broke it, that didn't just happen one time. It actually happened several times in the Passover meal. And it was something that all of the disciples had seen hundreds and hundreds of broken pieces of cracker or bread. And when Jesus took it, he gave thanks, he broke it and said, Take, this is my body, broken for you. And then he lifted the cup up. And they had used that cup multiple times in the Passover meal. Something that the disciples had done dozens of times at least in their life. Probably did it every year whether they wanted to or not, mom and dad dragged them to Passover and said, all right, you're doing this. They'd taken, they drunk that cup lots of times. But here Jesus says, listen, this is, this juice, this wine, represents the blood that I shed for the remission of sin. Jesus gave himself because he was the only one that had sinless, perfect blood. You and I don't have that. In fact, the blood that you and I have is the reason Jesus had to shed his innocent blood. Because all of us are born as human beings with a disease called sin. And God says the penalty for sin is blood. And not just any blood, but unblemished, perfect, sinless blood. And here's the thing, none of us have it. And so God himself came 
and shed his innocent blood. That whosoever would call upon him. So Jesus gave himself. But then we often also oftentimes skip over verse 30 in this passage. It says, after that supper was over, after they had taken the bread, after they had taken the cup, Judas wanders out of town to do what he's going to do. John tells us that, the, that Jesus, after that was all over, you know, got up and he washed the disciples' feet, and we'll talk about that another day. But when they went out, they sang a song and went out to the Mount of Olives. And we all know what happened at the Mount of Olives. It was there that Jesus prayed a great prayer. He prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. It was in that meadow that his betrayer would come up to him and give him a kiss. But that kiss was not one of love, it was one of betrayal. And here's the thing, Jesus knew it. And so, what we often skip over is that, hey, listen, Jesus gives us a song. He gives us something to sing about. There's a melody within our heart when Jesus lives there. And the melody is simply this amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. And you see, if if you're a child of God, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that is the story of your life. Whether you met Jesus at 5, or whether you met Him at 50, or whether you met Him at 90, or somewhere in between. When Jesus comes into your life, He changes you, and makes you new, and He gives you a song. So it wasn't just a song that they randomly picked. It was a song that flowed out of them because they had been with Jesus. And so, when people look at your life, do people hear that song that Jesus has given you? And it's not one that you actually sing, it's one that your life just proclaims. And people can tell. People should be able to know and tell that you belong to Jesus without you even having to say it. And without you having a little fish necklace or a fish on the back of your car. Or I love Jesus tie. Or I love Jesus bumper sticker. People should be able to tell and know. Because the song of his love that came into your life and changed you keeps playing. And keep singing. Jesus has given us a song. The Bible says the song that we sing doesn't have to be on key. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes our singing's flat. But what does the Bible say? It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And that joyful noise comes from a joy that's within us, not because we're happy all the time, 
but because God is with us all the time. And when God is with us all the time, whatever comes our way, we know we can face it because we have Him. And so I hope God will encourage us and remind us as we've come to the table this morning and as we heard these two important truths that we can answer say you know what I'm starting to get it Jesus and how you start to get it is you know and understand and live out that Jesus knows all about you and he loves you and that Jesus gave himself to you and gave your life a song that he intends for you to sing throughout all eternity You see, the Bible tells us that when we get to heaven, it'll be nonstop worship there. And we'll continually be singing praises and throwing crowns at Jesus' feet. And so that song doesn't start when we get to heaven. That song starts when we start walking with the Lord, when He's changed our life. And he's given us a new joy and given us hope. And still, even after we have that new joy and hope, there's times we won't get it. There's times we forget. But hopefully, the more we walk with him, the more we walk along the path with Jesus, the less often Jesus will have to say, Dad, why does this yo-yo not get it? truth of the matter is there's times we all are in that boat we just don't get it the disciples it took them a long time to get it and I wonder sometimes even after Jesus left and they did great things for the kingdom of God I can assure you there were still times Jesus said why don't they get it just like he does with us but again as we understand these two important truths that Jesus knows and Jesus gives, we can begin to get it. Can I tell you that as you begin to get it, it'll affect others as well. And it'll help others get it. Until we finally reach heaven, and we'll finally get that great prize of eternal life with him, We'll finally hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But until then, our song needs to continually be flowing from us. We need to continually understand and remind ourselves that Jesus knows our heart. He knows our needs. He knows our worship. He knows if it's sincere or if we're just going because it's Sunday and that's what we do. And when we're just going through motions... Jesus knows it. And I tell you, Jesus doesn't like it. He says, you know what? Enough is enough. Quit not getting it and start getting it. It's up to you. And so let's pray again. Lord, thank you for your love and your goodness. Lord, we thank you for the important truths that we have hopefully gotten this morning that you know all about us. And that you give. And you don't just give on Calvary, but you continue to give every day that we live. For the very breath that we take, Lord, is a gift from you. Lord, may the song that's in our heart because of the new life that we have 
come pouring out of us every day. Help us, we pray. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, there's one watching on Facebook or YouTube and doesn't know you, today may it be the day that they finally get it, that that light bulb finally goes off in their head and they say, you know what? I finally understand why Jesus did what he did and that I need new life in him. May you help us understand that gift's already paid for. All we have to do is receive it and apply it. Lord, help us to give as you've given. Help us to have giving hearts and giving spirits and a giving song. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together. If God spoke to your heart and there's a decision you need to make for the Lord, today would be a great day to make it. Maybe you're saved and you know it, but you know what? You really here lately have just been going through motions. And you know what God says to you? Let's get real today. Let's get it. Not a fake imitation, but the real thing. Let's sing together this hymn.